0: And here we are with yet another edition of my wonderful series Interviewing Tara Lazar. I'm saying this is a series because this is the second interview with you, but I hope it's the second of many because you have three or four books coming out in coming years. And I want to talk to you about each and every one of them. So hello hello and welcome back, Tara Lazar.
1: Oh, Oh, thank you for having me again.
0: It's After my great, it's my great honor, and I have to remember to say that my name is Mel Rosenberg, and I am the host of the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network. And I am here with one of the children's authors whom I adore. I mean, I adore. We haven't met, but I love your work.
1: Thank we you. We did have a,
0: we did have a wonderful interview in December, and here we're back eleven months later, as we said we would be. And Story Storm is coming up again in January. And we're mm-hmm. gonna talk about that again uh but uh, we are here to celebrate your brand new flat book called flat cat yes shall we shall we have a look at the um at the trailer sure this is a, it's a it's a it's a trailer for sale or rent where I have to find it now oh everybody can see my screen now that's not good <laughs> that's not very good okay where where did I put it I had it
1: well, it was oh. in uh, is in your browser.
0: Okay, I, I'm I'm having an oive moment here. Oi. So, uh, so give me a second, and oh, and I see now I see myself here.
1: Yeah. Hi. A, okay. Oh. <laughs> and I see Roy Orbison.
0: Yeah. No, hold on, hold on. This is not this is not what I wanted. Okay. Can you see this, Tara?
1: I see nothing, except you and me.
0: All right, so I have to share the screen. Okay, I'm sharing the screen now. And now, everyone <gasps> can see Flat Cat. That? Flat Cat was born flat, and wouldn't you know it? He liked it just like that. So what will happen when he goes from flat to that? Find out in Flat Cat. New from Tara Lazar and Pete Oswald. The number one New York Times bestselling illustrator of the Bad Seat series. Available wherever books are sold. I would say available wherever cats are flat.
1: Wherever. (laughs) I love that one. What is this? Uh, You're back. What is that? Exactly. Oh no, what you do wrong?
0: I don't know. But we're back again. Here we are. We're back. Can you see me? Can I see you?
1: Yes, I can see you. Can you see okay. Roy Orbison?
0: I can see Roy Orbison.
1: Oh boy.
0: Oh well. Wow. So so uh Tara, uh, what has happened in the past year? Tell us about uh the absurd words and tell us about Flatcat. You can pick start with either one.
1: Oh, Absurd Words was a project near and dear to my heart Um, because I love absurd words. You know, who doesn't like saying flabbergasted? I mean, come on. Um, So I had collected a series of bizarre words over a couple of years. Every time I'd be reading something and I'd come across the strange word <clears throat> I'm losing my voice already. Oh, no, right. nothing to drink. <clears throat> um, boy, if you're still stay tuned, if you're still tuned in, I I admire you. Um, so I just wrote down these absurd words in a list. And I kept this list on my phone. And then one day I said, well, you know, what am I doing with this list other than just collecting words? I might as well put it up on my website. So that's what I did. I put it up on my website. And pretty soon, it became the number one accessed page on my website. And I'm like, I didn't know other people liked these strange words as much as I did. So a book came out called L is for Lollygag. And this came out with Chronicle Books, several year several years ago but I'm like oh that sounds like a great book I have to get it and it was it was a good book except it didn't have everything that I really wanted in a strange word book it basically had the strange words in alphabetical order and their definitions and a cute little cartoons here and there but like I wanted more Like, I wanted to know the origin of some of these words, and I wanted to know the story behind these words, and how they're used, and a whole bunch of, like, stuff. Like, I don't want to just—and it was a dictionary, and you don't really read a dictionary— So I came up with the concept for absurd words and I asked my agent if it was worth submitting and she's like, yeah, write, write up a proposal. So I did. It was bought by Sourcebooks and what we came up with was 750 wacky words and instead of putting them in an alphabetical order... My editor, Bumi Ishola she said, why don't we put them in categories so you can find a word that fit a certain category like um, detective, adventure, mysteries, greatest of all time, uh, sports and Like, put them in all categories. So if you wanted to find a weird word that maybe meant a certain thing, you could just turn to the category in the book. Great idea for how to organize the book. Then I did a lot of research about the etymology of some of these words. And then there are some pop culture references of these words. Um... Like bazooka. You know the word bazooka? Okay. So like
0: it's first, a it's a it's a chewy word.
1: It it first, yeah, well well definitely chewy. Um first it's an instrument that this um like vaudeville performer used, and then it's a since it looks like a uh, uh uh oh god i can't even think of the word since it looks like a gun then it's used for uh for that purpose in, in war it's a bazooka and then after world war ii was over there was then bazooka gum that they put in a red white and blue wrapper for like you know american pride war you know war sentiment the war is over and here's a piece of gum and we took this this instrument of war and turned it into something fun a piece of gum and then it became bazooka gum so it went through all these iterations so i put these interesting stories in with the words of absurd words and now it became something fun to Flip through and read at your leisure. I mean, and you can you don't have to read it from cover to cover, although some people do. Um, you could just pick it up and flip to a section that you think you would enjoy and read like the 20 words or so that are in that section. So it it just became a really fun thing. And it's selling really well. And people love it.
0: So it's, it's selling it's selling absurdly well.
1: Yes. And it won a an award from SCBWI. It won the golden kite, which is their highest peer recognized award. And so it won the golden kite in 2023. And wow. I have the golden kite on my mantle over here.
0: It's wonderful. So, uh, as we just say, Mazel tov.
1: Thank you very much.
0: It's wonderful. So, um, congratulations on absurd words. Um, that's that's really marvelous. What age group is the book for?
1: It's um, well, my mother-in-law loves the book, so she goes around saying to people, "Oh, it's not for kids." And I have to correct her and tell her it's not only for kids. It's for any age, really. But um, I made it for like middle grade, like third to eighth grade is kind of the sweet spot. But older people enjoy it. Older people, I, they get read too, I guess. But yeah, um, it's kind of like... Um, something that we had here in America when I was growing up was called yes and no books. And they were a book and you got like this secret pen and you would like fill in the games and they would, and they would work with this, you know, secret pen. And on the cover of the books, it used to say for ages nine to 99. So that's what it should say on the cover of absurd words. From
0: ages 9 to
1: 99. Does it? No. Oh, I didn't think I, of that. Until after. Tara, I,
0: I should say from the age of 9 to uh, seven, eight, nine.
1: Oh, but I'm... Sorry. Oh. Sorry. <laughs>
0: bad mail, bad mail. Okay, so um, we're going to go back to your sweet spot because back in uh, December, you told me that you're an 8-year-old at heart. Um, but let's talk about Flat Cat, which is a... Um, a wonderful book again for, for the five six year old crowd. I'm guessing four or five six year old crowd. Um, yeah. Tell us about Flat Cat.
1: Well, he was flat, and he was born flat. He wasn't squashed by an out of control ice cream cut uh, ice cream <laughs> man truck. He wasn't. What was the other one? And he wasn't smooshed in a waffle iron by a short order chef. He was just flat. And he liked it like that because he could slink and slide anywhere he wanted. Totally unseen. He could just get around and not be bothered. And he liked that kind of life. Um, Until one day, he's not flat anymore. And he's not sure if he really likes it. So you have to find out whether or not he likes it and what he does about his not so flat life anymore.
0: So um, this takes us to story storm. Uh, Every every January, you run something marvelous for thousands of authors where um, we are um, expected to come up with a new idea every day for a month for a children's book. What?
1: Thirty yeah. ideas. <laughs> Thirty ideas,
0: and I, I actually participated this year, uh, and it, it was it was great, and it does um, it does um, get you going. It does get you to write manuscripts, and uh, yes,
1: so the ideas churning.
0: Yeah, but then uh, we we talked about this in December. Uh, we're going to talk about it again, Tara, because I'm not I'm not we haven't got to the core of it, and that is. Where do the ideas come from? Because, you know, whenever you go to a seminar or workshop, uh, people say, oh, uh, there's ideas all around, you know, um, but but only the people who have ideas say that there are ideas all around and you're Uh. you're you're a person who has ideas. But for most authors, it's hard to come up with it with an idea.
1: It is. It's hard to come up with a good idea not every idea is a good one right
0: okay so so where did the idea for flat cat because you know you all you have to do is say um you know flat cat was was flat and he liked it like that and I'm saying oh my that that that's a book you know um it's it, it's, it's like a a, a a one a one second pitch right It's like home run on the first bat of the first inning but where does that come? And you've done this many times. This is your bar mitzvah book, right? It's your thirteenth book, if I'm counting yeah, right.
1: Thirteenth book, right. So Lucky happy thing. bar mitzvah,
0: happy bar mitzvah to you. And um, and can you share where these moments of inspiration come from?
1: Well, it's very interesting because last night I was reading a book, uh, by Charles M. Schulz. And if you know him, he was the creator of the Peanuts uh, comic strip. And in this book, he was talking about, I still don't know where ideas come from. I'm asked that all the time. I don't know where they come from. But the entire book alternated back and forth between anecdotes about his childhood And then the comic strips that were inspired by those moments in childhood. So it's not that he got the ideas from childhood. It's that they just, they spurred something in him. And he said it was like, you know, they jarred something in him. They they pushed it out. Um, So he talked about, for instance going to the movie theater with his grandmother when he was a little boy. And at this one movie, the first 100 kids were going to get a free Butterfinger candy bar. So he went all excited and he got there and he was kid number 101. So he just missed getting a Butterfinger. So he did a lot of comic strips about going to the movies as a child and you know one please and he even did that you know waiting online to be you know a kid to get a free candy bar except in the Charlie Brown strip it was the first 1500 kids which is a lot of kids and he was 1501 Charlie Brown um so it was a lot of Things that happened in his childhood that he took, he altered a little and put them in the comic strip. And that was kind of where ideas come from. Something that happens in real life may spur a certain idea. For Flat Cat, I was at home, it was during the pandemic, It was January of 2021, so we're really in the heart of the pandemic, and I hear meow really loudly outside. Now, the first night I heard it, I was actually upstairs, so I couldn't do anything about it at that time. Then the second night in a row, I heard meow really loud. I was sitting right here and my sliding glass door is right there. And I open up the curtain and I look and there's a cat sitting there, a black cat. So I'm like, oh, the poor thing. It must be cold because it was January 2nd. Must be cold. So I opened up the door to put out some food. And as soon as I open up the door, she slipped right in and she's never left. So a cat being very sly was kind of the impetus for flat cat. And, you know, I like to play around with titles and sounds and, you know, absurd words, but uh flat cat just had a nice ring to it. You know, I if I was going to write about this sly cat why not him being flat because then he could be even more sly than a regular cat so that's kind of where the idea came from it's not that yeah no but it's
0: so so um i have my theories about this but this is your show not mine but essentially um What you've done is you've um, and and what Charles Schultz did is you've invoked the humorous look at some episode, but you've also moved it from point A to point B, which I call call thinking between boxes, taking something from frame A and putting into frame B. So this is now what would this cat who has this attribute of, of slinking, sneaking in look like if he were a flat cat? And of course, you're going to say flat cat. What do you think of flat things? Um, and you've taken the cat and you've moved it into another realm of two dimensional beings. And, and, and this is, I think, um, this is, I think the genius of, of special authors like you. And well, in order in order to do this, you do have to have this quirky sense of humor that you are, you are blessed with. I have no idea if this is something that you, you were born with, um, I so, think
1: you're
0: both. so do, do, you, do you do you write through angst? Last time we talked, you told me that you write for five-year-olds, but your sweet spot is an eight-year-old girl, and yeah. that was a period of happiness before the storm. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. And and one of the things that I've learned about you, um, just a few minutes ago, is that you are Jewish. But you weren't born Jewish. I don't know very many people like that. Do you want to run us through this?
1: Well, <laughs> um, I was born. I get. I guess you say you you're born Catholic. I was baptized.
0: I don't know. I was born Jewish, dear. I don't know. I, don't know.
1: <laughs> I know. Like I was born Catholic. <laughs> I don't know. I was baptized Roman Catholic, and both my parents spent their entire lives in Catholic school. Our lives. My father even went to Seton Hall University and Seton Hall Law. still Catholic. <clears throat> so then by the time I rolled around, my parents were like, eh, we had enough of this. <laughs> yeah, they were really tired of Catholicism. So I was raised really um, secularly you know, we celebrated the major Christian holidays like Easter and Christmas, but we didn't do it in a religious sense. And while all my friends on Sunday went off to catechism, uh, Sunday school, I got to stay home, uh, which I was really happy about. Um, so I wasn't really raised with religion in any sense uh when I'm watching Jeopardy and they have the Bible uh section come on I'm like oh no I'm never gonna get any of these right because I just I just wasn't educated in that way Jumping so, Joseph uh, I just I no I just the whole Bible category is just a wash for me
0: but the you know the Bible has the best stories I must tell you
1: I know we, there we, are we so- have to we, we have
0: to talk about that.
1: Great stories. So um, when I met my husband, uh, he was Jewish. And uh, I learned about Judaism. And I happened to like the tenets and the philosophy behind Judaism much better than I ever liked Catholicism. Um, So I became Jewish. Jewish. And we raised our children Jewish, and if you see the lights over here, those are really for Hanukkah. <laughs> They're not for Christmas. We have blue and white lights that we put. What, 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 what,
0: one second. So, so, so you don't do Christmas anymore?
1: No, I've never done Christmas. No. And um, no, uh, there's nothing wrong with it.
0: Um, so, so you know, now during this uh, terrible period we're going through. Uh, with so much anti-Semitism. And, you know, I, I, I maintain that the Jews are actually wonderful people. And, um, you know, we brought the world so many wonderful things. And um, and uh, you as, a, as someone who embraced Judaism, I, I think it's wonderful because, you know, some people think that the Jews succeed because they're really good storytellers. And you're a wonderful storyteller. So you should have been Jewish from the get-go. That's what I'm thinking.
1: I grew up in a town that was uh, very heavily Jewish. Uh, we had a lot of synagogues and um, most of my friends were Jewish and actually growing up not being Jewish. I thought I was in the minority. It, seriously, I did because every, uh, like, Almost every single one of my friends was Jewish. We just lived in a very Jewish community. So as, as a child, I was like, wow, well, I'm not Jewish. I don't know. I feel it, kind
0: when, of- when you, when you ask people, Tara, uh, yeah. why there is so much hatred and anti semitism in the world, um, the main reason is because the church taught for 2000 years that we killed Jesus. Uh, without even noticing that Jesus was a Jewish boy. Um.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I actually don't like to talk about religion um, because it's a very personal choice. um, And, you know, to each their own. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And and I wouldn't have asked you, except these are such hard times. And um, it's a...
1: very difficult times, and, I, and I'm and i a very difficult person. No, I, I'm just like uh, <laughs> a lot of weird things about me. <laughs> and one of them is that I, I didn't grow up Jewish. I became Jewish, but I wanted to be Jewish when I was a kid because everybody else was, which so is you... not the norm because it's usually only two. No, but,
0: but, but... Tara, I, I, you know, we talked about this in December. Um, to be a, a writer like you, who wins major awards and has bestsellers, and both these books are are, are, are bestsellers. I should I should add, absurd words, and um, well, well, a, as, I... a, a, and we're not talking about all your other books, seven, eight, nine, and and um, th- these these books are considered like the top of the class. You're the top of the class, and I wouldn't expect if I were interviewing someone who's like one in a million, right? To be um, normative.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I'm definitely not normal. I mean, look at look at this shirt. I mean, this, I'm wearing an entire outfit like this. It's got bears on it. It's got cats, cat right there. there cat. Yeah, and it's, it's a, a top and a bottom. And like, I have to, if I wear this out, I have to tell people, it's not pajamas. It's actually an outfit, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, that's okay. I wouldn't have minded if you were in pajamas." And I'm like, "All right. Sometimes I sleep in it."
0: It's yeah. it, it's the, it's the flat cat's pajamas.
1: <laughs>
0: Tara, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, so, <laughs> um, so so let's uh, let's move on now. Uh, we've talked too much about your personal life, uh, but sometimes we have to uh, and talk about the stuff that's coming out of your uh, fertile mind. What are the books that you have cooking?
1: Oh, well, there is a second flat cat coming out, which I finished writing this summer. Um, And actually last week, I got the initial sketches from Pete Oswald. Ooh, so let's, let's uh, talk.
0: Let's talk about Pete Oswald for a moment because he's also oh, famous, well, like you are. Bad seed and so on.
1: Well, he's more famous than I am. <laughs> I talented. wanted
0: you. I wanted you on my program.
1: I know, but very talented individual. Because when I did come up with the idea for Flat Cat and I wrote Flat Cat, I could not envision how he was going to look in a picture book because a picture book is two-dimensional and Flat Cat was also two-dimensional. And how is that going to come across in the book? Is it going, you know, because he, uh, I couldn't imagine how somebody would draw this. And then I got the sketches for Flat Cat and I went, oh, so that's how you do it. And it was just everything that I could ever want in a cat that's flat. And Pete figured it out brilliantly, and and it's it's just like it was exactly what I envisioned, even though I didn't envision it. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. You know, people who are not in this business think that the um, the uh, the authors have a say in who the illustrator is, and that they sit together a lot. Um, do you want to? Um, Unbundle this misconception.
1: Okay. It's false. (laughs) Um, Once your story gets bought by an editor, it essentially becomes that editor's book. And the editor has an overall vision for how the book is going to appear. And they have an idea of which illustrator they would like because that illustrator has a particular style that they foresee meshing well with your particular story. So the editor contracts the illustrator separately. And then once you and the editor go through your revisions, maybe you go through two passes. Usually I do two passes Um, and the final uh, story is set. They then give it to the illustrator. Now, you may have art notes, which I call action notes, because art notes is very misleading. But action notes makes more sense, because it's the action that's supposed to happen to make your story work. But it's action that you don't mention in the text itself. And you need that in order for your story to work. So... Now, some editors strip out those notes, some keep them in. I I don't know what happened this time. I didn't have very many art notes. Um, But they give it over to Pete, and Pete goes through and makes a dummy book. He makes sketches of what the artwork he thinks should look like and how it should be laid out and full spreads, one page spot illustrations he does it all and then you receive it from the editor and the editor has already made notes on it about what they want changed and the editor asks you do you have any notes and you say it's ridiculous because it usually is And and sometimes you have a couple of notes here and there and you give them back to the editor and she passes them back to the illustrator. So you're actually not interfacing with the illustrator directly. You're going through an intermediary who's the editor who kind of pulls it all together. And people are like, oh, that's strange that you you don't talk to one another and collaborate. Like no it's not strange because the illustrator is supposed to bring their own interpretation to the book when a kid is reading the book a kid doesn't get to ask the author any questions do they oh well maybe sometimes if their parent decides to type me an email they could ask me a question but Oh, the kid has to understand what's in the story just by what's there on the page itself. Same thing with the illustrator. The illustrator has to understand the story without asking me any questions and has to be able to bring their own humor and their own interpretation so that they have of the book that they're contributing if I was to direct everything that he would draw it would be a boring book because I I wouldn't have I don't have that illustrator mindset and I tried to keep my mind blank like I said I was surprised by what flat cat looked like because I hadn't envisioned what he looked like because I couldn't I don't have that spatial relationship in my brain. I think in and, the but, and, and,
0: and yet, Tara, the best yeah. authors, uh, of which you are among, um, boy, that was a terrible use of prepositions, um, are able to have these blank pages. And uh, what I call giving up the, the story in order to have the story. In other words, what you're saying is essentially you've written the book, and even though you're famous, and you could say, "Hey, you know i I want to. I want to. I want to see what's going on." And you say, "No, no, no, no. The right way is that the illustrator also makes it his or her book, or yeah, their
1: Yeah, makes a contribution so that it becomes their book." Um, I'm gonna
0: say. I'm, I'm gonna say that it's it's it's. You know, I, I only have one traditionally published book, but I, I look at it as a hundred percent my book and a hundred percent the illustrator's book it's also her book.
1: Yes. And
0: and the, and the editor of course.
1: And the editor's book and the art director's book and the and the cover designer's book. But, uh,
0: yeah, and so but that's that's the big success, isn't it? That, that everybody feels that,
1: that it's is their, their it's book, their book. Because they all contributed. Now, it, it's funny because some self-published authors I've heard say, "Well, I don't want to relinquish control." And At no point have I relinquished control. I have just welcomed the input to my book. And everybody contributing has made it a better story. Just all these people that come in to work on it have made it the best story possible. I have not relinquished any control. I have not, you know... If there was something I really didn't like in one of my books, I'm sure I could talk to the editor and work it out. But there has never been anything that I really didn't like in any of my books. They've all been better for the people who have contributed to it. And I have never relinquished any control.
0: You're a very generous person, Tara.
1: Well, it's just. It's a hundred percent my book, like you said, and a hundred percent their book. You know, we all yeah. contribute to make it the best it can possibly be. You know, you you go to a movie and then you stay until the ending credits and you see hundreds of names come up. You know, it takes a village. It takes a village to raise a book. It takes a village to raise a movie. There are all sorts of people who lend their time and talent to it and just make it better.
0: And, and, and then and then we've forgotten that perhaps the most important owner of the book, which is the the child.
1: Yes. it is then the child's book. You have basically relen- you, you do relinquish control when you give it to a reader. Because each reader is going to have a different interpretation, a different favorite part, a different refrain, you know, they're going to make it their own. And you have no control over that, but you don't want any control over that, because that's the enjoyment of reading.
0: Wonderful. That's so beautiful. And um, you don't want to share uh, your upcoming books, dear?
1: Oh, upcoming books. Well, I have Flat Cat 2. Which is called? Which is called, I don't think I can say it yet. Ah. But it's called Flat Cat 2. No, (laughs) Flat Cat 2. And then I have uh, a series with Disney called Party Animals. Boogie, boogie. Um, and so far there are two books in that series too. I've written the first one already. And then, um, I'm supposed to deliver the second one before the end of the year. So I have Uh. to get it done. Okay. I already had, I already wrote up a treatment, basically like a pitch. Um, so I have the pitch and I just need to actually. Write it. So one that? second, The party,
0: party animals is about animals that go to a party. You're
1: you not have gonna
0: to say to find out. So when when is our next interview? So so um, when is Flat Cat Two coming out?
1: I mean, all this isn't coming out till the beginning of twenty twenty five. I they, know, right? They gotta wait. But, oh, yeah.
0: Sure. Well, we, first of all, we have a Hanukkah coming up, so there's Hanukkah miracles. So I'm sure that your treatment will turn into a book uh, very, uh, very successfully. And uh, it's the end of 2023. And we can aim for January of 2025. It's only 14 months from now.
1: Yeah. um, Flat Cat 2 is slated for February of 2025, beginning of February. There you go. At that point, you can't say happy new year anymore. When February rolls around, You got to stop saying Happy New Year to people, even if you haven't seen them, because it's February. It's no longer the new year. I mean,
0: and and, and, and now you tell me that and now you tell me (laughs) shame on me.
1: You don't say Happy New Year in February. That's my rule.
0: Okay, but can I can I what can I wish you? Can I wish you a happy Hanukkah?
1: Yes, you can, and same to you. And yeah, it's in. Uh, I gotta. Oh my god! Oh, it's Cyber Monday today. I gotta do a lot of ordering online. Guy, I need to get some presents for my. Okay, well, kid. you have a lot
0: of presents. Um, you have. You're an author with a lot of presents. Uh, so, and, and this has been a another gift to me and to a, my audience, um, getting some insight into your wonderful craft and your thoughts and your upcoming books. And uh, Tara Lazar, um, I'm just going to say thank you. Um, And I look forward to the stuff that's coming out. I look forward to interviewing you in February of 2025. We should be healthy, as the Jews say. Uh, And um, is there anything else that I haven't? mentioned uh,
1: i don't know no okay everything,
0: well everything you, everything's good if you think of anything you just let me know and um i want to thank you dear uh for taking the time to share and, and for your humor and uh for your wisdom and um, i just better shut up now so um i'm mel rosenberg and i am the host of the children's literature channel for the new books network and I have been interviewing and enjoying the wonderful company of the one and only Tara Lazar. And we've been celebrating her new flat book called Flat Cat. Tara, thanks so much. You are wonderful. Bless you, dear.
1: Um, Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. I just need excuses. Keep writing the books. I'll keep inviting you. Bye, dear.